I'm Rosemary. I'm Beatrice. And this is Not Without My Sister. We should say at the very top of this podcast, we are in fact sisters. Happily. Aren't we Beatrice? Look, we are sisters. <laughs> you seem very unsure about this. You're like, oh, no, we hmm, are, si- are, we? We are We are sisters. In fact, on one occasion, Rosemary on the bus from Galway to Dublin was mistaken for me by somebody who was in my class in college. Do you remember that? There were two occasions. There was one time on the bus in Galway and there was another time I was walking down Grafton Street and somebody stopped me and said, you must be Beatrice McCabe's sister. Aww. And I was raging. Oh, were you? I've, I would have been more no. raging that like the person who knew me actually very well thought that you were me because I'm almost seven years older than you. So what does that say about you? <gasps> Today, right, this is an excellent anecdote segue into the topic of our episode today. But today I was outside weeding with my boyfriend's son. Well, I was weeding and he was just being very ineffectual, but I was pretending he was being good and going, you know, saying encouraging things. And he was like literally just digging up lumps of muck and ignoring the dandelion. Nobody cares about the dandelion roots except me. Anyway, and he was talking about some character in a video game that he wants to be. And he was going, I think it'd be great to be him because he's 20 and he doesn't have to do anything his parents say anymore. And I said, well, I'm an adult and sometimes I still do what my parents say. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, but like this guy has a job. (laughs) From the mouths of babes. From the mouths of seven year olds. And I went, I went, well, I have a job. And he was like, but you don't leave the house. I was like, well, none of us do now in fairness. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, very true. But Does that makes you feel any better? It doesn't. He was so dismissive. Oh. Yeah, but he has a job. And you I see, was the problem thinking, is with kids, like when they tell you things, you know it's true. I know. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, little does he know now, I'm going to record an entire, like, hour-long ramble with my sister about our careers. I do like, have a job. Hey, look, I'm planning to work for at least an hour today. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to force him to listen to this now. Oh, my God, are you drinking tea? Yeah. That's not like you. Oh no, I've got the wine right here beside me too. Oh don't yeah. Don't worry. Fear oh, not. God. I don't I don't have wine, I only have Diet Coke. Hashtag hoping for a sponsor, Diet Coke. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we're the best representations of Diet Coke, no offense. Just saying. Or maybe we oh, are. Oh my god. Because gods. without it. Oh sorry, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, I know you hate that. I, I should say I. I am not the best representation. Oh my god, sorry. I hate that. I hate more than when somebody lumps you in with their own body issues. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Because I have a friend who used to do that to me all the time. Be like, like, I'd see her at Christmas and she'd look at me real like sympathetically and go, how are you getting on with the diet? And I'd be like, sorry. I'm not fucking diet. No, obviously I was. I was like totally raging. Like I'm getting on great, can't you tell? Okay, well, moving on. I didn't mean that. It was it was about me. You're right. That was projection. You you do you. I will. You, ne- Don't moving on. You do you. Me. <laughs> you Excuse me. I got so embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Today we thought we'd talk about our careers because 
they're great because they're great we're real high achievers but also because we asked in the last podcast for people to suggest things that they'd like us to talk about didn't we, we and did. yeah and we got a long list of things uh, lots of them were about Beatrice which was very annoying um, like tell us more about your sister how did she end up in America tell us more about your sister's life in America but in fairness she can't really complain I don't think there's anything about your life that people who follow you or interest in you don't already know like down to the most intimate detail as our mother would say much to our mother's chagrin I oh hate my God. when Rosemary's on the radio I hate this, the stuff she talks about she just <laughs> shares everything <laughs> You know, you know, I got a text from her as she was listening to, I think it was episode three, where I was talking about being in France and that, that German guy sitting down beside me and putting his hand on the gusset off my knickers. And she texted me, it was literally like, this podcast with a capital P, this podcast is not for your parents. Why did you tell us to listen to this? Oh my God. Why did you tell she, her? You should have been like, don't bother listening to that episode. Her, it's crap. I didn't tell oh. her to listen to that. I actually Oh, assumed. you shouldn't be complaining. You've always been complaining. Yeah. She never listens to your Capital P podcast and now she's listening. She, she has never listened to a single one of my Capital P podcasts until you appeared on it. And now that we are doing a podcast together, she is listening to every episode. What does that say to you? Maybe you're the favourite. Oh, Rosemary, let's move on. Tell, let's talk about our careers. Let's, uh, let's, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, as let's, they say in yes, Ireland. Yeah, exactly. Do and they say that in Ireland anymore? No. no, did they ever Let's, actually? No. Let's okay. start with you, seeing as you're the one people are, mo- are most interested in, and then they could just switch off for the second. <laughs> <laughs> you're so, so self deprecating, it's ridiculous. Go on. I'm very humble. Hashtag stay humble. Beatrice, tell us about your amazing career. How did you get to where you are now, the, the dazzling heights of Fort Wayne, Indiana? <laughs> you bint. I. I like to say, Rosemary, as a joke, and then I always regret it when it, because it's generally people in Fort Wayne that I say it to, that I have done my career backwards. So I started out in Milan, went to Paris, to New York, had a small trip to Dallas, and then ended up in Fort Wayne. And correct, I say that is not necessarily the normal arc of a fashion career, but I actually don't even know necessarily that I work in a fashion company anymore. It's more like Vera Bradley's kind of unique. But I did start out in fashion. So I studied fashion and NCAD. I did a joint course, joint, what's called History of Art and Design and Fashion. Oh, yeah. When you first studied fashion design, mm-hmm. what did you, ima- like, did you imagine you were going to be a fashion designer under your own name and your own brand? Was that kind of the, the like, did you have a dream in, in that way, if you know what I mean? Not necessarily. I just thought I would design clothes. So that's probably the first correction that happened to me, as so to mm. speak. I thought I would do clothes. I was always making everything making clothes making stuff doing fashion wheel right super cool oh my in, god um, making clothes do you remember you made my confirmation dress <laughs> you're so ungrateful <laughs> no 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 i was that really glorious grateful. shift I, I really wanted like a chic little 90s secretary which is which is what i got basically like a little shift dress in a pinstripe but remember mom's heart was nearly broken because you're finishing it the night before the confirmation like mom had been saying for weeks Beatrice, you really want to get that started. And like, you're a bit like me, I think, in that like, you're very good at doing things at the very last minute. Very good. Very good at it. And this was the very, very last minute. I also made my own Deb's dress, you're reminding me now, that orange thing, that bright orange thing that like, when I gorgeous, I I felt gorgeous until I got there. And then I was like, oh, everybody's dressed like a princess, like they're going to the princess ball. No, I mean, it wasn't necessarily that I I just, I just looked like I was at a different event and my purple feather boa. (laughs) I still love that colour combination. That's why I ended up in Marnie. It's all purple and orange and avocado. 
You looked really cool. We must actually dig out a photograph. Oh my God, there's a terrible photograph, I think, actually, of the two of us standing in the sitting room and you're going to the Debs and I'm wearing a fleece. I don't know why, why <laughs> mum could put something nicer on me. I have, like, um, I have some photographs somewhere, but loads of them are in black and white, which is really annoying. Like it was so trendy oh, it's really for a while, annoying. you know, but it's really oh, yeah, hard yeah. because then you can't kind of date it, you know. But that's probably an advantage because you could pretend it was like chic and black and white. Like oh, you could pretend well, the dress some, was black. Oh, you're right. Well, I mean, it was it was cool. I mean, I, I, it was it, cool. It was, it was cool. Fine. It was cool. I, I'll have I have some photos of that somewhere. And then so well, and in college I did my um, I took a year out actually because I hated my fashion course, but it was more the politics of it. I took you know I, I did three years. I did my Erasmus. And I went to Milan because I just always wanted to go to Italy. Like I, I always wanted to live in Italy, and obviously it's a big capital of fashion you know famous renowned for that and I wanted to learn Italian and I fancied all the like art history etc so it was like just kind of that was my dream you know so I did my Erasmus and I went there I went to Milan right wasn't it Milan yeah yeah did did you go to Milan or did you go to Bergamo no no I went to Milan um I I worked my first job was in Bergamo but I I went to Milan and I was underwhelmed by the by the college that I went to, because like in NCAD, we had at least, you know, knitting machines. And over there, I went to my first knitting class and they all whipped out their knitting needles. Now, you would have loved it, actually. But I was very taken aback. Sorry, Beatrice, I would have hated it. They would have been like, (laughs) knit... It would have been like knit ten rows, and like forty minutes later, I would have still been on row eight. Well, I like the fact, like, just like today, just like today, the boys came in before this and asked Rosemary if she would knit two Yoshi's. She's like, "Yes, get back to me in two years." But I mean, I don't know if you've actually met these children. I think you have because now that you've offered them something, every single second of every single day, they're going to be waiting for this knit Yoshi for the next two years. So no, you better no, get, no, you better get knitting. No, I actually, I actually think I'm safe because Bo cycles through his Yoshi obsession very quickly. So it'll be Kirby's oh. in two weeks, and then it'll be. Something else. Oh no, it's full on. Back with the masks. It's currently masks, nerf nerf guns, and masks. They love wearing these masks um, around their lanyards, their Vera Bradley lanyards. Like they look the epitome of chic. Anyway, so I went <laughs> to Milan. I don't remember this at all. Yeah, yeah, and I lived I don't think with various I different all. people. Thanks. I lived with various You're different welcome. people, and I was only there for three months. Oh, okay, it felt, okay. It felt so it wasn't very a whole long. Year. Like, yeah, no, no, only for three months, and it was. It was hard because I didn't have the language, you know, at all. Mm-hmm, Hadn't mm-hmm. ever studied Italian, etc. But, but I mean, it was great. It was very exciting and very kind of inspirational. But I don't know that I got an awful lot out of the college itself. Um, it was, I remember there was an illustration, there was fashion illustration as well. And like, instead of kind of saying, hey, you know, let's look at the clothes or let's think about the poses. I remember the only feedback they ever gave me was like, your lipstick isn't bright enough on this on this illustration like you need to give her more fashionable eyelashes and I was always like what this is how is this this is bizarre so um so then I went back took a year out I know I took a year out and um I went down and lived in Kilkenny oh yeah okay okay yeah yeah yeah. I I worked for yeah I worked for a print a printmaker Sabina Braxton I worked for her um for during that year and I also worked for the Irish Landmark Trust because I think I was in a bit of like I was kind of like, I'm never going back to fashion, hate it. I'm going to go and into what? architecture, which was actually what I wanted to do in college oh, in yeah. the first place. But what happened? You didn't get accepted into architecture, did you? Um, I thought they I got, decided you were too artistic or something. No, no, I got something. Ex- they said that, you know, they were like, we'll, you can come here, but we think you should go and do fashion design. And I was kind of in two minds. Did I want to do architecture? Did I want to do fashion? So that kind of tipped me you know, pushed me further towards the fashion and mm-hmm, also had mm-hmm. done um, just like a two week job placement. You know, the way you do in fifth year or whatever in my uncle's yeah. in the civ- in the civil service, he was in, in the 
Um, the Office of Public Works, yeah, the OPW. Yeah. Actually, I enjoyed it, but I think I was more like, oh my God, fashion is going to be so, you know, exciting and glamorous, etc. Although yeah. I, I still think architecture would be great. Anyway, and then, oh yeah, then I went, I was like, I'll just go back. I'll just finish this year, you know, I'll just get my degree. So I went back and actually really enjoyed fourth year. That was, that was good. And what did I do then? Oh, then I went to Italy. Like I literally the next week after I graduated, I packed my bag and went to Italy. And I stayed and there with my cousin. What, my cousin like, lived there. Our cousin. When you went to Italy straight after you finished your degree, did you have a job lined up or any work or anything? Or were you just like going to go over and basically hoof it around trying to find work? Yeah, that's exactly. I was going to go over and hoof it around. And I remember like, I was very optimistic. And mom used to send me over like 50, 50 euro a week. Oh. She was always concerned that I was, you know, starving, which I was starving. Actually, I looked great. This is again now my own body stop, issues. Stop I know, now. right? Glamorizing starvation. I know, not anymore. But at the time, I thought I looked great because I was was absolutely starving. Could only afford a cappuccino and an orange every day. And like, of course, I was skinny. Oh, and wine. And yeah, just (laughs) to be clear. I mean, to to be fair, wine was very cheap in Italy. Wine, wine, wine. I'm like, can't even talk right now. Wine was very cheap. And also there were always millions of people willing to buy it for you, which was the other thing. That's actually true too, yeah. Go to a bar, everybody's buying you wine. Oh my God, I was thinking about the terrible terrible situations I put myself in in Italy but that's there's a stories for another those podcast, are stories for another like, podcast yeah 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 but honestly I was like oh my god I actually think I would kill myself now like if I saw the behavior of me anyway so that was great so I looked around for a job I I remember like I went to Etro I went to every single fashion house I knocked on the door I left my resume I'm sure they just turned around and chucked it in the bin because like really so much of it is about connections not so much like being connected but having an introduction yeah 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 having someone to go this is my friend or this is my cousin I have this vision of you now like you know in Coyote Ugly when Piper Parabo starts going around to all the record companies and going can I can I just give you my demo oh my god they're like sure exactly yeah (laughs) and finally I went to a a company like a, a recruitment agency and they got me a job and actually I think it was so shady now when I think about it they they got me a job with um Fiorucci, Fiorucci. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, with Fiorucci. But it was like a licensee. Fiorucci's so we, making a big comeback. Yeah, well, I mean, they've always been cool, but this company actually owned the license for Fiorucci. So it was out in Bergamo, and I used to get up every morning at 3 a.m. to get a lift from one of the guys who worked out there. And he would pick me up out in the road at 3.45, and we would drive the hour and a half. Then I'd do my day's work, and then I would come back the hour and a half and do the whole thing. I'd probably go out, drink loads of wine, and then get up at 3 a.m. So I did that for about... 3 a.m.? Um, yeah, I was very dedicated. When I say to people, like, I worked really hard. I worked really hard. So I got up, did that. I'm horrified. I'm like and remembering then, the, the like handful of times I got up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym with my mad friend Neve. Well, I'm like, that was hard. But, but then I used to come home and get back into bed at like half past five for two hours, three hours. Well, it was after about the first three months. So this should have been, I mean, obviously, in hindsight, this should have been the writing on the wall. You know, after the first three months, I worked with two girls, just me and these two other girls. And it was great fun. Like we did. We just sketched clothes all day long. It was fantastic. And um, uh, they lived there in a hotel that was paid for by the company. And I was always like, why am I the, why am I the mug? This is yeah, my, yeah. my common refrain throughout my career. Am I the mug? Anyway, eventually they were like, oh, you can oh, your paycheck's going to be delayed, but we're going to put you up in this hotel. And I was like, great, right? So they put me up in this hotel. Two weeks later, we get kicked out of the hotel by the hotel proprietor because bills have not been paid. And we've been like putting everything on our room service, etc. You know, you can imagine. I mean, not like, 
not like living it up or anything, but we had yeah, been no, ordering. We'd been eating food because we were told to, you know, get yeah, your breakfast yeah. here, have your dinner here, etc. And then, so in month four, I went to work one day. And as I like, I actually I had to get the bus then at this point because your man, oh, your man got let go. So I had to get the bus. So I had to get up even earlier oh. and then walk about a mile in the morning to the place from the bus stop. And when I got there this morning, all the women who worked in the sewing in the atelier were out on the street with placards in their uniforms, like, you know, obviously on strike. And I, I'm going, the innocence of me, you know, I was like, what is going on? What is this celebration? So I'm the, you know, whatever it's called. I'm the one crossing the picket line, going into oh, the office, no. doing my day's work. Yeah, no Just idea. Passing the picket. Exactly. Well, I had no idea. And then afterwards, when I asked for a translation of what it meant, it meant like pay us our salaries. We haven't been paid for six months, etc. So oh. I realized at that point that there were, you know, did things I realize? Not Probably well. not. The things were not going well. Yeah. But I still stuck it out for another two or three weeks and then got told like, hey, we're, you're never getting paid. We're closing oh. down. So back to square one. I found myself back in Milan going, what's next? But then my cousin's friend introduced me to he had a connection at Marnie and he heard that they were looking for somebody to sketch the clothing for the design team so basically they would do the roughest kind of artistic sketch and then I would interpret it in a much more technical fashion okay I okay. wonder actually if I still have some of those drawings they were very nice like it was actually a really really zen job like it was the, the hours were crazy but for the first kind of couple of months it was super zen I just sat there all day like with clothes on mannequins drawing these beautiful kind of portrait drawings it was so gorgeous and then anyway then they started to realize I could use the computer which was the like the end of me and so then I was like put on making line sheets and and then I I was working with the creative director it was so, so tiny there were only like three or four designers in the whole place three I think and the creative director and I worked directly with her and then I started traveling with her and she started kind of involving me more and I got very involved in the print development because again she could I remember one time I was at home and I I lived over an hour away on the bus and she called me up at 11 p.m. And she was like, Beatrice, I need you to come into the office. It's urgent. So I got out of my pajamas, got into my clothes, got down on the creepy bus because I lived, you know, not in the most salubrious area of Milan. Mm -hmm. Went to work, walked the whatever, 25 minute walk from the bus stop down to the office, went up to the third floor. And she goes, I don't know how to turn on this computer. Turn it on for me, please. And I literally pressed the power button, <gasps> turned around and went home. And yeah, <laughs> so there were these moments of like not the most, you know, glamorous fashion moments either. But anyway, it, I mean, I actually have my time cards. I was looking at them recently, my timestamps, and it was insane the amount of hours that I worked there. Like I didn't get I didn't we didn't necessarily start soup like we started at about nine or nine thirty. But which which I should put in the notes is like it's now to me at the time was a very regular start time. Now in Fort Wayne, Indiana, everybody hears up with the chickens. Oh, like no, stop. this is literally stop. like, oh, I put on a 7 a.m. meeting because you're all booked up. I'm like, 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And of course, working from home has only made that even worse. Could could we sneak in a 645? You can feel free. I'll join you later. <laughs> go for yeah, it. Listen, like I learned this when I started dating Brandon and he was like, we're going to go for breakfast on Sunday with, you know, Amy oh my God, and, I, and a few I was friends. Horrified. Yeah. And I was like, oh, great. What time? And he's like, 830. I was like, what? <laughs> What? On a Sunday? Like, what? And he was like, why? What on a Sunday? You, have breakfast? you mean ever, any day of the week, but especially well, on a Sunday. Well, I mean, for a person with a job who's like, we're going to have breakfast at 8.30 a.m. before work, fine. Yeah, well, when I started here as well, work. when I started here as well, they, they did a lot of on morning, you know, 
onboarding meetings. So it'd be like, okay, I want you to meet up with the director of sourcing or with somebody from IT or whatever, just kind of get to know various people around the organization. So many people were like, how about we meet at 6.30 for breakfast outside of the office and then go to work? And I was like, how do you say, like, you're brand new. I'm like, um, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I don't really eat breakfast. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon gets up at 4.30 every day to go to work. Now, he's actually mad because he doesn't leave until 5.45, but he likes to get up and have his breakfast and stuff. Well, mom and dad used to get up at the crack of dawn as well and go to work. I mean, I suppose, I'm I sure know, lots yeah. of people are listening to us thinking like, get over yourselves. That's, this is not like weird. <laughs> right? No, but like Sunday breakfast at 8.30 is weird. Oh, Sunday is definitely weird. That's totally weird. Oh, except if you have yeah, yeah. kids. I mean, I now think like, I'm oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's listen. already 8.30. I know, 8.30, you're like, <laughs> Jesus, is, is it like bedtime for them yet? Yeah. We're yeah. like, oh, we, my we've God. been up for hours. Anyway, sorry. Okay, so you're in Marnie and what was your job title in Marnie then? So I started out as a design assistant or associate, I can't remember, like, because I think they're, you know, it's not quite the same levels. It was mm-hmm. more like designer, assistente, assistant. And then, oh yeah, I, that was not like, because I didn't think anybody could decipher that. I was just thinking about what my title was. Sorry. <laughs> and then I moved into accessories and print design so I did a load of research and like load of vintage buying and kind of interpreted patterns and worked on handbags and shoes so that was and jewelry that was really what I did I wasn't really involved in the clothing so it wasn't a choice if you know what I mean but once I started working on accessories I found it really interesting in a way that I wasn't as interested about in the clothing you know I was more fascinated by kind of the democracy of a handbag, how it can be for everybody, you know, and how everybody can Mm -hmm. get this from this product. Everybody can participate. It's much more universal than, say, clothing, you know, where you have to be a certain size for certain brands or a certain shape or a certain, yeah, like also like a certain lifestyle. Yeah. And they're also just really kind of feel good things, you know, you everybody can buy a handbag and everybody can enjoy it. Whereas you can buy clothes that can make you feel like crap, you know? Oh, this top, I never should have bought it. It's hideous on me. Every time I wear this, I mean, yesterday I went to the office and for the first time ever, and I was like, I was like, oh, I'll try on this shirt that you gave me actually. Um, This leopard crossover shirt. Now, number one, why do people make crossover shirts that do not close and all that happens all day long is my boobs just hang out of it, right? I think that's the one that I actually had professionally seamed because the inside wasn't like wonderweb. Do you know what I mean? So it just kept popping out. So annoying. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. The inside seam, like. But also, I wore it with, like, these red earrings and this red skirt. And halfway through the day, I was like, I have forgotten how to dress myself. I actually look atrocious. I looked, and then Kevin in the office said something to me like, oh, are you, are you auditioning for Falcon Crest? And I was like, I cannot. Like, I literally, yes, Rosemary, thank you for looking shocked. I can't, right? Cheek. How rude. And he was dead right. And then I caught a glimpse of myself on the camera and I was like, I look absolutely ridiculous. I look like Alex, Alexis Carrington, circa 1982. That's, which that's I actually sounds cool, but it wasn't a good yeah, look yeah, for yeah. me. And my hair was atrocious. I was looking like a cross between the grog from Fraggle Rock and Alexis Carrington. It wasn't good. <laughs> You're obsessed with this grog. Yeah, well, I'll show you. I'll actually show you a picture. I took a picture the other day of me with my mask and my hair. And I was like, there is something did look very groggy like grog, about this. Yeah. I did. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Thanks. It was the mask. It was the mask. It wasn't you. It was the mask. <sighs> okay. So I better get faster because it's going to take too yeah. long. Yeah. Okay. So then I went anyway. Oh, 
oh, this is a good one, actually. Then I decided I was going, then I got obsessed with like, I want to move to, I want to get another job. I want to move to Paris. I was always thinking about moving back to Ireland. So I was always applying for jobs in Ireland and like pitching myself for jobs in Ireland. But I, but, and this is connected. I was also very good at Photoshop, right? So I was very good friends with a lot of the people in Marnie. And one of the couples, there was a couple who worked there and the guy worked downstairs because Marnie actually originally was called Chiwi Furs and they make all the furs for, it was a family company and they made all the furs for, Fendi, they still do. Fendi, oh. Valentino, etc. That's how they started out. And then they had three sons and one of the sons married Consuelo, who's the founder of Marnie. And she started it more as, and it was more of an offshoot of the fur. There was a lot of fur in the beginning of Marnie, if you look at it. And then she had really strong kind of color sense and style sense and a very unique, I think, kind of playful identity. So she started her own sub-brand, which actually became probably bigger than Chewy Furs at the time, right? Oh, I, that's, that's conjecture on my part, but it seems like it was more of the focus. But anyway, downstairs, there was still all of the... The fur, you know, manufacturing and styling and like it was a really it was amazing craftsman, obviously, you know, polarizing, but very amazing. Anyway, one of the guys, the husband of um, one of the women that I worked with worked down there and it was his birthday. So I took one of the photos from our most recent fashion show and it was three beautiful models with, you know, jewelry and clothes on and all that kind of stuff and I photoshopped his face with a big beard into the middle picture right <laughs> and then I, we all did happy birthday we all said this was great happy birthday Antonio whatever right and we all signed it and brought it down to him laughed our heads off etc fast forward about two months later I'm like I, I you know I, I want to get another job because I'd been there for three years which is a long enough time in fashion but also I think sometimes to progress you have to mm-hmm. leave you know you're, you'll have this slow growth within a company or you can kind of jump up the ladder, up a couple of rungs by moving yeah. elsewhere, you know. Especially, so, I mean, especially if a company's small, there's not that much room. Oh, well, actually, you reminded me, yeah, this was a family run company, and yeah. the daughter and son were just graduating college, and it was very clear that they were going to be, you know, next. And I wanted to grow and actually loved my job, but I did want to kind of see, you know, get that broader experience. So, so I wrote to Eden, right? <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Oh, this is Ali Houston's company? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote oh my to gosh. them and I was like, hi. <laughs> so I think I know where this is going. I was like, I really enjoy your company. You know, I appreciate the the purpose-driven nature of it, etc. As an Irish person, I can really relate to this. I, um, you know, uh, have this experience. I, um, these capabilities and my attention to detail is, you know... <laughs> Not basically. And then I attached a load of examples of my work, right? Sent oh it God. off. Never heard anything. I was like, the cheek of them. Can't believe they never write back because that was also my naivete at the time, right? Next thing you know, like it's a couple of weeks later, I'm like scrolling through. I'm like, I'm going to look again. That was a really great letter. And I sent them really great work examples. I'm going to check this out. I can't believe they never replied to me. So I'm scrolling through these attachments <laughs> and I'm like, that's a phenomenal bag. I can't believe they wouldn't answer me. And then that's a beautiful print, the cheek of them. And then I go to the picture of the three models. And it's sadly the wrong one with Antonio in the middle, this big bearded head. I just can't imagine what they were thinking. <laughs> oh, so embarrassing. <laughs> So I'm very careful now whenever I write letters or send off applications to or double, triple, Whenever you Photoshop check. people's heads into photographs Precisely. and delete Precisely. it from your computer. <laughs> so true. Oh my God, oh. I'm now remembering a particularly horrifying... Oh, that was brilliant. Amsterdam for, to Amsterdam for Mom 60th. Oh my God, this was brilliant. My face into her head or vice versa. Yes. And it was like, 
exact same person. Literally also, doppelgangers, but oh you were God, in the exact terrible. same pose at the exact same angle at the table. I'm wearing she's, very similar was, earrings as well. I was looking for that picture recently and I couldn't find it. You're going to have no, to I find it. No, I couldn't find it either. 2G. It's amazing. Okay. So I applied for, um, oh yeah, no, and then I got uh, contacted by a headhunter in London saying, hey, we have a company in Paris that's looking for accessory designers. And I was working with my friend at the time. And so, well, we said, well, we'd both like to come, myself and Julie. As like and, design partners, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And we were like, let's pitch ourselves. Let's pitch both of us. And so we went over, we met John Galliano, which was very exciting. And we got the job. And so we both were working there in, in Paris. And that was really exciting. And we were there for three years. And then... Um, I loved work. I loved I loved working at Galliano actually, and we also did some. You know, we we spent some time in the Dior studio because obviously he was over both. So really, there mm-hmm. was really amazing exposure, and the studio was super fun. Like it was just a very kind of vibrant team. You know, everybody was kind of the same yeah. age, very um, probably you know single, like all kind of hanging out together. So you were really all friends as well, which was really nice. Yeah, but like he was also from that kind of group of like he was from Saint, he had gone through Central Saint Martin's, hadn't he? So he was like really I mean the sense I got from that studio and I'm thinking of it in comparison to the next place that you went was like very young very fun full of creatives who were very passionate but also very diverse and kind of quirky in their own way and there wasn't so much of a like we're in fashion you know what I mean no it was very it was more like being around a load of artists too right and and it was very familiar because a lot of the people who worked there had gone to college with him or he had interned for him like a lot of people were interns and then were employed, you know, so he's very, it was a very kind of loyal band of friends, you know, working together. And also because it was more his passion project, like it was financed by Dior, but there wasn't the same, I think, urgency for it to be as commercial as Dior. You know, Mm -hmm, Dior was mm -hmm. the moneymaker and then this was more the kind of press end of, this was the PR machine, you know, because this was where he got to be his true creative self. Like he was super passionate about his men's line. His men's line was really fun to work on. And all of the fashion shows were like phenomenal. They were all Mm. like massive theatrical spectacles, like so elaborate and creative and amazing, you know, really, really exciting. Um, And so, but after a while, I kind of started to think like from my own perspective, like I want to understand how to run a business. You know, I want to understand what the mechanisms are that make something commercial and working on something so kind of avant-garde, you never got to see anybody wearing it, you know, because A, it was so yeah, expensive yeah. and B, it was such a limited edition. He had one store. He had some wholesale like retail partners, but it, the majority of the business was actually private clients. You know, so many um, well-known celebrities came in to be fitted for their weddings or for events that they were doing. And he also had a big um, following in the Middle East. So like a lot of the royal families, you know, would come for their weddings and, you know, it would be like 72 people commissioning clothing. And it was Mm -hmm. so that was really probably the driver of the business. And that wasn't so much what I had anything to do with. But like I was, I suppose, to your point, thinking, you know, how am I going to be the most well-rounded for the future? You know, so I wanted to go to America because certainly Americans are all about the business. And so again, I got contacted by a headhunter, myself and Julie both, and we w- both went to America, to Diane von Furstenberg. We went and actually, to America. We did. And actually, I remember we were interviewed by her in her apartment in Paris. And she had this, I mean, amazing apartment. And, you know, it was amazing to go to her personal home, apart from anything else. Like it was so in, eclectic. In Paris. In Paris. Yeah, she hasn't, she had, I don't know if she, I mean, irrelevant, to her apartment at the time there, right? And uh the two of us arrived along and we were, and I was wearing my tightest, tightest pencil skirt 
which I was very proud of, and extremely high heels and a blouse, right? And I looked, I, I mean, I think at the time I, I thought you looked great. great. I thought I looked great. Yeah, I looked great. And so we arrived into her sitting room and the housekeeper, housekeeper, opened the door and let us in and kind of said, you know, Diane will be here in a minute. So we're sitting there in the sitting room on the couch. And there were many couches, just to be clear. There were many couches. There were beaded chairs. There was a divan. There was a chaise lounge. There was, you know, the whole thing. Diane comes in anyway and she goes, oh, hello. You know, she goes, oh, please, ladies, actually sit over here. So we stand up and we sit on the other side. And she goes, oh, no, 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 please sit there. And so she goes points at these beaded chairs so we go to, like literally every time my bum nearly touched the seat she goes oh actually no 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 she goes sit on the floor and she curled up like a feline leopard on her chaise long and we we proceeded to be interviewed sitting on the floor if you can imagine me in the tightest skirt ever I was like please please do not rip up the back like you did that time in Cork when I was out and did a Spice Girls high kick and my skirt <laughs> ripped all the way up the back on my night out the town it was so embarrassing Please, please, please. So luckily nothing. But I just remember going like, this is, this is weird. Like, this I can't is... believe she made you sit on the floor. And I also can't believe that in a way, having made you sit on the floor, you were like, yeah, this is the job for us. I know. Actually, in hindsight, I thought that too. I was like, was I, am I the mug? Yes. I know. Well... I know you're making a yes face. And so then worked for her for three or four years. And it was I think it was it was very amazing to work for a company that was so female centric. Everybody was female. You know, the, there were a couple of men working there, but it really did celebrate women. And I appreciated that a lot. Like that was a very empowering, except as usual, like a lot of the very senior roles were men as well. There were some a lot of senior females, but like the head creative director was a man. You know, head of finance was a man. Not to say you can't have men in your company, but I felt like that was a bit her 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 creative directors are generally men have all been men. And so I, I would like to lower the tone slightly and just point out the fact that when you got the job at DVF, it was the same time that the city was launching on MTV. Oh, yeah. Whitney, Whitney and Olivia Palermo had started work at DVF in the, in the PR department. And I was so excited about your brush with fame. Oh, I mean, they had, they had these two temporary desks. They were there about an hour every day. And at the time, it was funny, right? Because um, Olivia Palermo was the, the sidekick and Whitney was the, the star, was the star of, right? Of that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that was, a, that, was a great, that was a great job. That was really interesting. And that was accessories. And then we worked on handbags. I believe she made you sit on the floor. I know, right? We launched handbags for her and jewellery, like everything accessories wise. And then I worked for Vince Camuto, which I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is or was available in Brown Thomas at one point. I think it still is. I think it's in Arnott's as well now. Yeah, and I got that job through um, one of the girls that I worked with at DVF. Her uncle was the president of Vince Camuto at the time. And so I met him at a party, etc. And he then reached out and said, hey, do you want to come and work here? And so I went, I went there and Julie went, Julie got a job in Juicy Couture. And she oh, yeah. went to Juicy Couture. And at that point we decided, you know, we wanted to kind of grow our own careers and have that, you know, and see if Spread you could be successful wings. by yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I worked, I worked there and I was there only for a year. And it was amazing because I worked on lots of different brands. Like it, we, Vince Camuto is a footwear company, right? So they have a ton of different brands that, you know, that they do footwear for. Oh, yeah, they yeah, they wanted yeah. to try handbags. So they were like, we're going to build a massive powerhouse handbag company. And, you know, you're going to lead this. So that was super exciting because I worked on lots of different brands at the same time. So that mm-hmm. was really interesting. Lots of different teams. And I was only there for about a year. And I traveled way too much. I had just had my first baby. He was three months old when I got, when I started that job. And I spent six months of the next year in Asia 
like literally fully six months I was not there oh. and I regret that now like that was really stressful and I think I was pretty unhappy like in terms of I didn't remotely do a good job balancing my personal life very often we worked until 3 4 a.m when I was in New York and then for the other six months I was in Asia so I feel like I that was that was not my proudest moment I have to say priority well, I mean that's but I mean, I didn't, I didn't prior, I didn't prioritize. Like some of that was me not saying, Hey, I can't do this. Hey, we need another person. Hey, you know, like, yeah, that's not a reasonable expectation to say to somebody, you need to stay here until 4am. Yeah. But it's also really hard to be in a position where you're being given a lot of responsibility and to stand up and say, we need someone else, which can sound like I can't do this on my own. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, no, not, not really. I mean, I, I don't agree with you because I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, I think we're led to, to feel like that, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, but that's like, a convenient thing for us to feel. I, I yes, don't think I felt like I could, it just never occurred to me. I would think I was so sleep deprived and so emotionally drained and so emotional after my having my first baby, like that I really didn't even know what I was thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't like, I, I had kind of, I kind of lost faith in my own ability to be a good judge of, is this normal? Is this not? And it was, I have to say, it was not my favorite experience because I think there was a lot of politics. It was challenging because they were trying to set up this big business, you know, and anything like that is really new, you know, is really hard because there was a lot of leveraging of like internal teams, but they're two very different categories. And so, you know, you're trying to say, hey, this is different, but also respect that person's knowledge and and tenure with the company. And like, there is value to that too, you know, so how, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it can be a bit like, who are you? You jumped up, you just, you know, you just joined, but like, I've been here for ages. Why are you doing this? I could do this. And then after the first year, one morning we got an email that said, could you all please meet us in from the HR team? Could you all please meet us tomorrow morning? And I wrote back, great, dying to see you. Should I bring breakfast? And I got no reply, right? Which I was like, that's weird. How weird they didn't reply. And when I got there the next day, we were all let go. They shut down the entire division. And I felt like an absolute like muggo because I did rock up with 12 muffins. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I actually thought you were going to say that they wrote back and said, yes, that'd be great. And I was like, that's terrible. Oh, no, no, no. That would have been worse. No, no, no. And they said, um, and they and they were like, okay, well, you can file for unemployment. But I couldn't because I had a H-1B, I had a visa. So I couldn't file oh. for any unemployment. And they said, we're going to give you two weeks severance. And I said, I would like three months severance based on the fact that this is going to be really hard for me to get another job. And actually, they came back and I think they gave me three or they gave me two. Like, it was very decent. It's very unusual, I think, that they, they didn't yeah. really argue. They kind of said, oh, okay, you know, that's fair enough. But it also made me think of the power of asking. You know, I wouldn't yeah, always yeah. have asked. I only asked because of my visa. Mm. If I had been able to get unemployment, I may not have asked. Yeah. You know, and I feel like the first offer is always the worst offer. And very yeah, often yeah. we take it. We don't necessarily know that this is intended to be a negotiation, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it would ever occur to me to negotiate at that point. Like at yeah. the point of we're letting you go. I don't think yeah. I would ever feel like I, I know because what's your leverage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then I went to work for JCPenney and this was supposed to be super exciting when Ron Johnson took over and he was totally revamping it. And there was a really amazing cast of creative people. There was RuPaul, I can't remember what her name is, from um, Barney's. She was, she's an amazing, she has amazing style, like an amazing fashion guru. There was Nick Wooster, right? I think everybody, well, he's a very famous menswear, again, kind of fashion expert. And all of these people had been brought in to really rethink what, you know, a modern day department store should be like. So it was super energetic and energized and, and exciting. And 
And again, I was over multiple brands and it was really, it was an exciting time. And, and the first week that I was there, my boss and my boss's boss and everybody who hired me was let go. So that was alarming. Right, that was alarming. And so then it kind of morphed into oh actually God. Ron Johnson was having a lot of problems. The teams weren't really on board. The buying teams who'd been there for kind of 30 years were like, this one is not like he's telling us to do one thing, but we're going to we know what we're doing and we're going to do what we can We're going to continue doing what we've been doing. And so there was a lot of internal friction and he yeah. didn't really um, it didn't really go down very well with all the people in. So uh, JCPenney's in Texas is based in Texas and I was in the New York office and they didn't, it didn't really sit very well that he kind of came in and brought in all of these new people instead of again, kind of saying, Hey, what experience is already in the building? You know, okay, how can yeah, I, yeah, I get you? And I don't think there was great communication. It was more like this, this crack team is sort of reinventing everything and we'll let you know when you need to execute it versus like bringing you on the journey. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that didn't go really well. And also it was very old fashioned because JCPenney was like, you know, is I think 100 years old or something like a very traditional retailer. And so they had a lot of things like the um, executive office for this leadership team was up on the second floor. And it was one of the only things that was like up in this kind of weird bird's nest annex. And there was a separate entry from outdoors and you could bypass like all the plebs, basically, you know, and that was how it, it worked. Like they would come in, they would land their helicopter on a Monday, they would all take the back stairs up they would have their private dining room and, you know, the private chef and never kind of rub elbows with the hoi polloi, so to speak. And I think that also, I mean, as you can imagine, did not go down very well. It was like, what, who or what are we, chop liver, as they say in America? Am I the mug? Am I the mug? Exactly. I remember um, when I first learned that phrase, I was like, chopped liver, what does this mean? I'm actually a moron. Anyway. What does it mean? It means like, what am I, chop liver? Who likes chop liver? Nobody. I, I've had a very delicious liver stir fry in my day. Well, and I'd like to say, and that example that you just heard there was why I don't do American accents. I actually do do them, but that is why I am not renowned. I am not known. You're not good at them. I am not known for my American <laughs> accent. And then I got a job at Fossil, also in Dallas. But this time we moved to Dallas because we were, we were pregnant with my second child. Actually, I, I have now gotten one, two, three. How many jobs? Loads of jobs while I was pregnant. Oh, which yeah. Which I think is yeah, actually yeah. also so, unusual. Well, so while you were on maternity leave at Nash, you got the job at Vince Camuto. Yeah, but that was kind of fine because I, I, I was not pregnant. Yeah, um, yeah. So you were coming back to mm -hmm. work. And then when, while you were pregnant with Bo, you got the job at Fossil, wasn't I it? I was five months pregnant, yeah. And, and I then the while job. you were pregnant with Chance, you got your next job. Yeah. And every single time I went for the interview, got the job offer and then said, hey, I'm pregnant. And every single time they were very nice and accommodating, which I presume they have to be. It was so much stress. Do they have to be in America? Yeah. They, I mean, they certainly oh. can't say we're rescinding that offer because you're pregnant. I mean, they could say we're, we're oh. not, we're actually rescinding the offer because we're not hiring for this role anymore, etc. But okay, yeah, yeah. I think it would be dangerous, but it was very alarming. Anyway, and so I worked there for three years. And I, that was really interesting because it was a lot of categories that I'd never worked on before, like watches, men's. Well, I worked on men's at Galliano, but it was um, more commercial. But it's very commercial, very business driven. Like it's a massive, it's a billion dollar business, you know. And so it was huge and really interesting to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of how the business works, which was really what I was looking, what I'm interested in. And then there was yeah. a, a marketing aspect and print development and all that kind of stuff. So really all encompassing. But that was really an interesting job. And then there was a lot of ch internal changes in terms of leadership. And I started mm -hmm. thinking it was just, it was kind of a time, a lot, time of a lot of disruption. It was after about three years again. 
and I was approached by another headhunter about this job here which I ended up kind of going oh, I'm not interested and Don was like we are not going back to Indiana because he used to live in Indiana years ago and I then hated it. yeah and here we are and yet here we are happy as Larry as they say happy as Larry and, happy and so as what, Larry so you went from your very first job say in Marnie was as design assistant and what's your title now so now I'm the chief creative officer so I'm responsible for all product design and development for the creative design. So every kind of product or asset or thing that the customer sees goes through my my teams. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of creating that holistic vision of what a brand is, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. So like the brand look, like the kind of look and feel of the brand, all of that falls under your... Yeah. And how many years are there between when you started at Marnie... And where you are now, just, I mean, I'd like, I think it's interesting yeah. to kind of figure out how long it's taken to get from X to 18, y. 18. And I have been here wow. for two years, so 16. Wow. But I do, yeah, but I think that what is great about this job is that it's really collaborative. Like, it's not as singular, maybe as a lot of places yeah. that I've worked before, you know, where I, I, I really believe that the best outcomes are part of teamwork you know I don't think anybody has brilliant ideas in a in a vacuum you're doing your your presenter's voice now am I yes you're like I I really believe that the best outcomes come from you know teamwork okay. delighted with myself now are you you have a presenter's voice too do I a bit <laughs> I repeated exactly how you said it people won't even know if it was me or if it was you they will actually because you're the posh one you know what's funny though like when you I remember when you were working when you were working in Paris at Galliano, I remember being so, I mean, I don't want to say jealous because then mom's going to listen to this and be like, oh, she's always been very jealous of everyone. <laughs> she doesn't think but that. Like, oh my God, she does. No, she doesn't. Oh my God, she's like, she's like, you're just like my friend. She used to be jealous of everyone. Oh she my says this God, to me all the you're time. not allowed to name people. Ah, uh, you are when they're old. <gasps> Grand, I mean, you're allowed to name mom. That. You're allowed to name yeah, mom. Yeah. We can name mom. But I remember being really like jealous. Is kind of the wrong word because it doesn't really make sense in the context. Really but I was jealous. jealous. Is that what you mean? But I was not just jealous. Really jealous. Really jealous. Raging jealous. But I was jealous because I was like, oh my god, she's so successful, and she's like, I think you were 25 or 26 at that point, and I was like, I'm never going to be that successful when I'm 26. And I was fucking right. I was right oh, to be jealous all you along. You were that successful. So Rosemary, on that note, you were that successful. It's just I now that now you I have don't no have job. a job. <laughs> It turns out that chatting through somebody's 25-year-plus career takes longer than you think, so part two, where we discuss my career, is coming next week. Not Without My Sister is produced by Liam Garrity. Sound editing and original music by Don Kirkland, and our original illustration is by Lindsay Nielsen. Not Without My Sister is a member of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts, as is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find more great shows at thewarren.ie.